Welcome to The Balanced Creative, your go-to podcast for breaking through creative hurdles, finding your authentic self, and banishing burnout. Join us as we explore the nooks and crannies of our daily lives, offering fresh and fun ways to unleash your creativity while maintaining a healthy balance. My name is Shalene Knight, and I am the author of four books. Most recently, Let It Go, Free Yourself from Old Beliefs and Find a New Path to Joy, now out with HarperCollins Canada. I am also founder of my own creative studio, Breathing Space Creative, where we focus on helping folks create the space and energy needed to do all the things they love. The Balanced Creative is edited and produced by Mar Tizak. Let's get started. As we begin a new season of The Balanced Creative, I want to thank you all for listening and joining in on the conversation from season one. At Breathing Space Creative, we do our best to hold space for anyone who wants to make their creative practice a regular thing. What is that thing you want to make more space for, even if it's not a creative project? What is something you've always wanted to do or get started, but life just kept getting in the way? As you might already know, this season will reflect some aspects of the new Thrive coaching program at Breathing Space Creative. This way, you can get started on that project you've kept on the back burner for a while now. It doesn't matter if you're halfway through the project or at the earliest idea stage, what I call unstructured play. These episodes are here to help you commit to that thing, that project. So think of this as your own creative time. Anytime you open up this podcast, here's an opportunity for you to call that project in. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the importance of your project's why and how it can keep you anchored throughout all this noise that happens in everyday life. So take some time if you want to settle into this space, get your journal out, or if you're driving, be safe, do something different, maybe just take a deep breath, soften your muscles, find something that can help you actively listen. So think of your creative project or just that thing in your life that you want to make space for. Just call that in right now. What is it you want from it? There's a reason you want to write this story, write this book, build this piece of art, develop this music, or whatever it happens to be, there is a reason attached. What does it bring you? So as we, we work through this idea of establishing and discovering a why, I want you to think about that project or that thing that's on the back burner. So what are some different ways in which I've discovered my own why? So I will say through any book that I've written or even any program that I've built and developed and offered, there has always been a why attached. And I will be honest and say early on, <laughs> I had no idea that there was a why or that I should even be looking for this. But anytime a difficult situation showed itself through this project, this is where the idea of a why started to speak a little bit louder. So for example, and this is especially for my writers out there, Starting, <laughs> starting the early moments, the seedlings 
of a book project and starting to draft that and feeling like, okay, wait a minute, who the heck am I to write this thing? Like if you see yourself in this moment, even with that one line, who the heck am I to write this thing? Raise your hand. Because this is often where the why becomes so incredibly important. We spend so much of our time, and not just writers, this can be anyone, we spend so much of our time looking in someone else's mirror and gauging not only our own success, but our own image of what it means to do something we care about. Who are we to do this thing? That is the narrative that will continually play in the background. And so figuring out what your why is, is the perfect way to tone that down just a little bit. So anytime I started to feel that difficult moment where I, I wasn't sure if I was the best person to do this, that is where my why comes in. And so for my book projects, my why is often quite specific. And so it's often connected to a group of people that I want to reach or a conversation that I want to have. And I think that's really exciting. And one thing that I really like to remind folks of is when you have this why, you know why you're writing this book or you know why you're building this business, whatever it happens to be, be okay with that why changing because it's not going to stay the same. Just as you don't stay the same, look at the old you from a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. What's changed? And so we have to be willing and open to look at our processes in the same way. So our why essentially becomes a process. And that's kind of fun when you think about it. So when I think about how spending time inside of this why has helped me move my projects forward, I honestly have to say that slowing down is usually the answer. And so my project moving forward is just a byproduct of this, this intentional decision to slow down. Because we are all rushing, especially in today's world, we have these ridiculous deadlines and we have these unrealistic expectations of what needs to be done and, and how it needs to be done. And yet we don't have a rubric for how to manage our energy or how to slow down and assess what we really need in this particular moment. So for me, the slowing down has been the pivotal, the absolutely essential component to all of this work is just giving myself an opportunity to think and to ask some questions of myself and of the work that I, I have in front of me. So my project moves forward because I begin to see what's possible. So again, just slowing down and thinking. When I look at my most recent book, Let It Go, that whole book took shape or at least took the shape that I wanted it to take because I slowed down and I asked questions of it. And it's really cool because my why shifted when I think about this book, but I'll save that for a little bit later. So as someone who often works with writers, there's a lot of different things that I've noticed about working with authors when they describe what their why is for a particular book. And it's funny, the common denominator is that they often freeze. They are just, oh. Like, what is this question I've just been asked? What is this? And it's likely because no one has ever asked them this question. And here's what's unique about the publishing industry. And if you're in a different industry, I'd be curious to know what this is like for you. But in publishing, we often assume, and assumptions are dangerous, friends. You know my, my take on this. We often assume 
that we all share the same why. And this is so problematic because even those working around us or working with us assume this why. And so for the most part, people assume that you publish a book because you want visibility or you just want to make a whole bunch of money. And we know that both of those things are likely not even going to happen anyway. So why would we make the assumption that that has to be our why? Our why has to be connected to who we are in that moment and what we want for ourselves and how we want to show up. But no one ever asks us these questions. So it's only natural that we don't think about it. So I feel like I've been very vocal in starting this conversation because I see and I've seen in the past how this has totally transformed not only how I show up, but what I end up producing and how I feel along that journey. So when I think back to books one and two, I can say there was no why <laughs> at all. It was a complete mess. And you know what? I was showing up in spaces that I didn't belong in. I wasn't really having a good time. And I was tricking myself into believing that this is how it's supposed to be. And you know what? I am having a good time. No, not by a long shot. It wasn't until my third book where like uh, seedlings of this started to finally sprout. And I'm like, hold on. I really want to think about where I want this book to go, who I want to hold it, and what kinds of conversations I want to be having. And then in book four, I was like, this is going to be everything. This is going to be absolutely everything. So my why was a huge part of my process. My why is what helped me develop and, and shape the book. And this why is what led me to figure out what I want to do next. So the why almost becomes like this ability to look into a crystal ball, if that makes any sense. So again, it's just opportunity to look a lot more ahead if that makes any sense, like figuring out where you are with your project right now, but being able to see so many steps beyond that. That's what I think a why can also help you do. When we think about why in terms of alignment, again, the why can change and shift. As you come into and out of alignment, what I mean by alignment is working within your purpose or really just being careful and intentional about how you use your energy, your why might shift right alongside of that. For example, when I was writing Let It Go, my why was that I wanted to excavate for myself what has gotten in the way of my joy my whole life. That was my why for the book. But this shifted as my mindset shifted. So as my, my sense of alignment started to change a little bit, my why became something different. My why was then, I'm writing this book to finally have the conversations I was meant to have. And that's a beautiful and intentional why. And not everyone can say that about their book, right? So again, the why can shift and change, but slowing down long enough to assess what it really is and what it means for you in that moment and what it means for your career so it can be quite powerful. And again, these things seem so general and so abstract, but there's so many different ways to make it personal and to make it unique. So the key here is to be open and keep checking in with yourself. And so anytime I have a conversation with someone who says they're doing what they're doing because they want money or they want fame, and I think, okay, you know, these are... These are our typical responses, right? But there's always a way to dig a little bit deeper. 
my follow-up question might be, well, what does having money look like for you? And so giving the person an opportunity to paint that picture for me. And more often than not, money looks like freedom. Money looks like having the ability to choose what you do, where you go, and essentially how you spend your time. So the money isn't then the why, but the way that you feel is the why. And so again, slowing down and thinking about this, why do I want to have money? You know, and at its bare bones, we want to be able to live. We want to be able to live in, in comfort, right? But really thinking about what it means to, what it means to have a why and to continually investigate that. Again, it's such a powerful movement if you decide that this is something that I really want to focus on. When I think also about speaking with clients about their why, I think it's kind of fun. Like I always have fun with this because I'll often ask a really big, profound, but also seemingly generic question about a client's why. And there's almost always a long pause. And I think this is good. This is good because it means they're thinking. And so my dissection of their response relies heavily on what their response is. I never come into these conversations with a preconceived idea of what I think I should advise them of. And not anymore, because again, we look back to how assumptions are completely dangerous. You never know what someone's story is or what someone hopes to get from having a book in the world, right? So I have plenty of writers in my community who don't even want to publish. And if we make the assumption that writers are only writing to publish or writers are only creating books in order to have this financial payout, we're paying into a narrative that no longer serves any of us. So slowing down and asking questions then becomes a powerful act. And it can almost be seen as your own way of calling in a piece of activism. Like for me, when I think about what it means to ask someone specific questions and to really listen and to really hold on to their answers. That's powerful to me. So as I have evolved as a coach in that I want my clients to really pay attention to what they already know to be true. As I've evolved, I've watched transformations happen because again, I'm letting go of my own assumptions and I'm using the why as a more active participant in the conversation. So many people assume their why is just a spark, but I try to use it as something that stokes the fire rather than igniting it. So when I think about how folks can use their why to bring them out of a period of lack or feeling like they're just unmotivated, Here's where that idea of leaning on your why like a pillar comes into play. So you can lean on your why as if it were a good friend. Like picture that one person who is just like you're everything. Like anytime you're feeling a particular way, you know you can call on them. You can just let them hold something for you. This is what the why can do. You can lean on it. You can call it up and be like, hey, remind me again, what am I hoping to get? out of this. I think about how do I call on this why? If I know it's a pillar, what do I do? How do I call on it when imposter syndrome or fear 
starts to kind of show up. And for me, this comes through mindfulness. So we all have the same structure in the brain called the default mode network, which essentially is our inner critic. It exists in all of us and it is loud and this system has been hardwired, right? So it's a very strong system. It is muscular. It's been in the gym, friends. When we practice mindfulness in whatever way makes sense for you, and again, mindfulness is just this opportunity to slow down and be in this moment. We're not thinking about what's happening two years down the road. We're not thinking about what happened yesterday or 85 days ago. We're right now in this moment, and that is mindfulness. Leaning into that is the best way to strengthen the opposite of this default mode network, right? So we want to begin to, to quiet that voice. And to do that, we have to be in the now. Because when we are in the now and we are paying attention, we start to notice different patterns that are true of the way that we move. Those patterns, when we are just starting out, are very loud and they sound terrible and they tell us that we are not good enough. But over time, we learn how to turn those patterns into insights and wisdom. And so again, when we slow down, we're paying attention, we're listening, we're able to figure out these patterns, and we're able to learn what to dismiss and what to let go of. It's difficult and complex work, but it all relies on consistency. So I've had conversations with people who, you know, say things like, oh, I just did a meditation and I, my life suddenly isn't fixed. Well, that's not the point, right? So this idea of, of calling in mindfulness as a consistent practice. This is really how I believe we can slowly over time get rid of the loudness or the abrasiveness of the inner critic. So moving on, thinking about how my own why has changed at Breathing Space Creative, right? So I didn't just write at the start know exactly what this was going to be but I thought about how I wanted to show up or how I thought I wanted to show up. And I started to build programs based on that. But over the years, I think what I was actually doing was I was trying so hard to do what I thought everyone else wanted me to do, which is, you know, again, something I now see as a pattern and I'm able to extract it for insight and, and wisdom, which is not something I could have done five or 10 years ago. So again, looking back at those patterns, what can I do with that information? I noticed that as a pattern and I changed it. So now I'm moving forward with intention. Anything that I'm thinking about putting out there, I go to myself first. How is this going to make me feel? How do I see myself showing up? What does it mean for my daily life? What does it mean for my energy levels? What would it look like for me to do this long term? And you can see how slowing down becomes a pattern here. It is the common denominator. If we don't call that in, none of this is possible. Now, five years later, five years after starting Breathing Space Creative, I could see that I'm finally in my element and doing what I always wanted to do. And had I not looked at developing a why, had I not started with the self and really went internal with this whole thing, none of this would be possible because I would be continually putting out something that I thought other people wanted. And I'm not here for that. We're all here to live a very specific individual life that is deeply connected to who we are. And so again, look at what that's tethered to. People-pleasing, lack of boundaries, all of those things come into play because they are all part of 
the unique tree that is you. They are simply a branch on the tree. So how can we then bring mindfulness into our creative practice to help reconnect with this why during stressful times? And I will say when we look at stress, we also have to remember that stress can be both positive and negative. It can be good and bad. Stress essentially is our reaction to any kind of change. And so when you think about a moment in your life when you've had good change, maybe you learned that you received a writing grant, or maybe you learned that you made it on some writing list or whatever, awards list or whatever it happens to be, that can also bring on some stressful feelings because again, it's change. So mindfulness is an opportunity to assess what's going on in that moment and to hold space for it instead of going backwards or jumping ahead. And the more that we do that, the more we start to recognize all of the noise as patterns, and then we're able to actually do something with it. So when we look at our creative practice or this project that we're trying to build, and we start thinking, oh, this is terrible, like no one's going to read this, what even is this? We're able to recognize the pattern of that, and we know what to do with it, right? So the mindfulness comes into play there, because it also helps us stay focused, It helps us remember why we're doing this. And then even down the line, it can help us build solid connections and relationships. So the mindfulness aspect is quite big and bold and deep and can't be, I think, narrowed down in one episode. But because I've been incorporating these ideas and these concepts into everything that I do at Breathing Space Creative, it feels organic for me. I'm finally at a place where I don't have to force myself to do something. It just, it's a part of of who I am and how I move. Well, it's pretty fun to think about things in that way. So following that up, I also want to say that mindfulness isn't enough on its own. And here's another strong opinion that I have because we are told, but we're also quickly buying into this narrative that if we decide to do something that counts as being mindful, that it's suddenly going to just solve all of our problems. And this is not the case at all. Being mindful and calling this act in of, of being present is an opportunity to have one more component added to the plate. And there's so many other things that we have to consider, but letting go of the expectation that something is supposed to be Uh, a solver of all your problems, because that's just setting yourself up for failure. So again, lean in with curiosity. How can calling in mindfulness help me discover something new about myself? How can this be a piece of the larger puzzle? A great way to do this, in my opinion, is to work on your own personal development and have it be an intentional, cyclical action. So often we are focused on our professional development, or doing all of these things maybe that we can put on our CV. But I see the personal development as all the things that we do that contribute to that professional side, but they're not things that we can put on our CV. So a great way to call this in is to figure out what is a system that I feel speaks to me. I like tracking things, okay? I'm not afraid to admit this. So in my mind, Having a personal development tracker spreadsheet or even a Trello board, because if you folks know me, I'm all about Trello. I like to find 
a system or a medium that makes sense for the purpose. So if I'm tracking, it's going to be a spreadsheet. If I'm planning and building, it's going to be a Trello board. So knowing that I'm going to use this spreadsheet, what am I going to track? I want to track all the things that I've done to help me evolve as a human being. So that might be reading a specific book. It might be attending a workshop. It might be working with a coach. It might be any of these different things, but I'm going to track it. And what this is going to do is it's going to give me an opportunity to slow down and pay attention to all of these things that I've done. But indirectly, what's going to happen is I'm going to remember all of these different things that I've done that add value to how I show up professionally. So when those moments of, oh, I'm not good enough or, oh, I'm not the best person to do this, that professional tracker or that personal development tracker is going to do that speaking for me and it's going to quiet that negative narrative. It's going to say, hey, look at all of these things that you've invested in and look how you've invested in yourself. That can't not trickle over to the professional side. And it's amazing how these things work and how it all starts from just slowing down and asking yourself, why? Why do I want to do this thing? So we're going to go ahead and slip into a mindset minute. Remember that your why can be a good friend. It can be someone you lean on in a moment of need, but it can also be your biggest cheerleader. Until next time, don't forget, mindset is everything.